Well, we began worship today by pointing out that this is Palm Sunday, and, and Palm Sunday really has a couple of themes that sort of hold themselves in tension to each other. On the one hand, there is a theme of celebration as we remember with great excitement how Jesus came into Jerusalem amid the shouts of the throngs of people who had gathered there. But it's also a time of somberness as we anticipate uh, the pain and the sacrifice that is to come and the terrible price He will have to pay. And we began our worship today with that celebratory theme. Vicki just shared with us the music from one of the great hymns, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But now as we turn to the Scriptures, I want to roll the story forward just a little bit and let's begin anticipating what will happen in the days to come. And so, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. We're going to anticipate that moment that is to come this coming Thursday night, a day the church calls Maundy Thursday, when Jesus would gather with His disciples for their final meal. And here's the way the Gospel of Luke records that moment for us. Beginning in Luke 22, verse 7, we read, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His word. Well, like... You and pretty much everybody, I am looking forward to the day when this crisis is behind us and we can get back to some version 
of the lives we used to lead, although they probably will have changed some. But I have to be honest with you and say there is at least one aspect of this current slowdown, this shutdown, that I am enjoying. With almost all activities canceled, I find that my family is now eating dinner together almost every night. Our normal routines, like so many people, are busy and filled with activities. We're running somewhere almost every night, but now with there nowhere to go, we're sitting down at the table six, seven nights a week. It's unheard of in our experience. Now, mealtime at our house is pretty simple. We're not elaborate cooks. But the time we spend around the table sharing those simple meals is proving to be priceless. Mealtime is when we catch up with each other and swap stories of our day. The supper table is where we share our crazy ideas with each other. It's where we decompress and unload our frustrations and our stresses. Uh, Mealtime is where we dream about our futures. It's where we wrestle with the choices that are in front of us. At the table, we often laugh. Sometimes we cry. Occasionally, we even argue. But most importantly, it is where we are together. That's why the table and the fellowship shared around it is such a vital part of the social covenant that people have with one another. It's true in almost every culture, in almost every age. Obviously, mealtime provides physical nourishment, and we can't overstate the importance of that. We are, after all, physical creatures. But mealtime is also where we find uh, emotional engagement. It's where we find social connection And it's even where we find spiritual enrichment. The dinner table is where we know that we belong to somebody somewhere. Unfortunately, right now in this season of social distancing, many of you are finding the opposite to be true because you're now being forced to eat alone. But that experience only further illustrates the point. That the dinner table, when it's rightly experienced, should be a place of fellowship and connection and even a place of intimacy. The Bible is very clear how important the table is. From beginning to end, mealtime is a critical experience for the people of God. Something I read just recently pointed out that food... And the experience of sharing food actually serves as bookends for the biblical drama. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, we read about the fall. That is to say, the first sin that Adam and Eve committed. The sin which admitted a spirit of rebellion into the world. I think it is no coincidence that sin involved food. It involved eating It should not pass our notice that mankind's rebellion against God began with a meal that went terribly wrong. But then if we roll the story forward all the way to the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 19, 
we read about something that is called the marriage feast of the Lamb. It celebrates that moment when Jesus has triumphed once and for all over sin and death and everything has been made right. Revelation 19 is in many ways an overturning of Genesis 3 because in that moment God makes right what we broke and it culminates with a meal, with a feast that the risen Lamb shares with His people. That's why no one represents the social, emotional, and spiritual importance of the dinner table more than Jesus Himself. If we had time this morning, it would be interesting just to thumb through the Gospels and look at all of the stories that involve food in one way or another. But, but for now, what is of particular importance to us is to pay attention to the kinds of people Jesus invited to the table with him. In those days, in some ways, much as it is still today, because the table was understood to be a place of fellowship and even intimacy, the social conventions said that you should only admit to your table people who had the moral standing to deserve a place there. You had to be very careful who got a seat around your breakfast table, your dinner table, your supper table. You absolutely should not break bread with people whose moral character was questionable because that would reflect poorly on you. The problem was that Jesus would eat with just about anybody. Well, not just about, he would eat with anybody. Anybody that was willing to sit down and break bread with him and allow him to do the same. Well, they were invited to the table. In fact, this was one of the greatest points of criticism that his opponents had against him. We're in the Gospel of Luke today. If we were to back up a few chapters to Luke chapter 15, which, by the way, is the chapter where we read the famous story of the prodigal son, we should note that that chapter begins with a pointed criticism that the religious leaders levied against Jesus. They said very explicitly of him, saying, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. I mean, it's one thing to be seen with the wrong people, but it goes to a whole other level to actually sit down and break bread with them because, because eating with somebody suggests that there's approval or, or even blessing of that person. Now, if that criticism that was levied against Jesus is lost on us, it is probably because we have tended to round off Jesus' sharp edges We've turned Jesus into this generic nice guy. And so it's hard for us to imagine how anybody could be offended by him. So let me invite you to join me for just a moment for a little thought experiment. I, I want you to, to close your eyes for just a moment and in your mind's eye bring forward a picture of the most despicable person you can imagine. Now, this could be an actual person you know, or, or it could just be a, a stand-in for the wrong kind of character, the, the kind of person you are quickest to reject. Now, with a picture of that person in your mind, I want you to also imagine them sitting down at a table where Jesus shares a pot of soup with them. 
Now, as you picture that in your mind's eye, I'm wondering, does anything about that offend you? Does it bother you to think that that Jesus would sit down to eat with the person whom you think is the most despicable on the planet? Well, if so, it should, because then that begins to give you a sense of just what is at stake when it comes to table fellowship with Jesus. Because you see, sitting down at the table with Jesus is not about well-mannered people getting together to share their their shared sense of decency. Table fellowship with Jesus is about desperate sinners flocking to the only one who can feed them with His grace. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought because we'll come back to it in a moment, but it helps to frame the story that we are told in Luke chapter 22. This story is traditionally referred to as the story of the Last Supper because obviously it's the last meal Jesus will celebrate with his friends and disciples before he is arrested and crucified. But it first should not pass our notice that one of the last things Jesus does with his friends before he dies is to share a meal with them. This is a moment of intentional intimacy. Of course, this isn't just any meal Jesus is eating with them. This is the Passover. If you're unfamiliar with that, the the Passover was the central celebration in the life of the Jewish people. The Passover recalled that moment all those centuries and centuries earlier when God had rescued the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. Now, if we were to go back to the book of Exodus and read the story of how that meal was instituted and the instructions God gave over how to celebrate it, we would recognize that almost every aspect of the meal was meant to symbolize something. The food that was chosen, the way the food was prepared, the way the food was to be eaten, it was all meant to convey something important about that moment long ago when God had acted on behalf of His people to set them free. And as a faithful Jew, Jesus was eager to celebrate that very meal, to have the Passover with His followers. But on this night, as they shared that traditional meal, Jesus did some reinterpreting of things. You see, according to standard practice, the Passover was meant to point back in time. It was a a way of remembering what what God had done long ago so that the meaning of that previous act of, of liberation could be brought into the present moment to bring meaning here and now. And it certainly was doing that as they gathered at the table that night. But Jesus made it clear that this Passover feast was different. This meal they were sharing was also pointing ahead in time. At least it was for those who were at the table with him that night. Because this meal was meant to anticipate the series of events that was about to unfold over the next several hours. Jesus knew that before this night was over, he was going to be arrested, and that on the following day he would be crucified And so he took all the symbols of that traditional Passover meal and he applied them to himself. The unleavened bread that they had at the table that night no longer stood only for the Hebrew people's hasty flight out of Egypt. Now it also stood for his body 
which in a matter of hours would be hung from a cross. The cup of wine that they shared not only now represented the gladness with which they were to receive the liberation and freedom that God had brought for them all those centuries before, now that wine also represented His blood, which in the next few hours was going to be shed for them and for us and for the entire world. Because this sacrifice Jesus was about to make of himself was to become the new exodus event. Just as he had done long ago, God was now once more leading his people out of slavery and into freedom. Only now he was doing it into the freedom that was of the highest and most ultimate form. Because this time, Jesus was leading people out of slavery to sin and death itself. Because of the atonement for sin that Jesus was about to make, the curse of sin itself, which is nothing less than death, was going to be overturned. Once again, all the wrong that we brought in the world is now going to be made right. And because of that, the gates of eternal life are now going to be opened to anybody willing to walk through it. That's what that meal meant that night. And that's what that meal means now. And that's why Jesus said whenever we gather to share and celebrate the symbolic reenactment of that meal, we should do it in remembrance of Him. When we as God's people come to the Lord's table to share in the Lord's Supper, it is no casual meal we are sharing. Now, the elements of the meal are simple, just some bread and some wine what they stand for, what they represent, what they mean for us, that is of eternal significance. Because this meal celebrates and recalls and remembers the incredible price our Lord was willing to pay so that miserable sinners like us could be brought back into fellowship with God. Because of Jesus God has now brought us out of death and into everlasting life. And so we come on this first day of Holy Week to share and to remember Jesus. As we do so, I want to invite us to remember three things about this story. First, let us remember that Jesus has prepared for us to be here. Luke tells us in verse 8 of today's reading that he sent two of his disciples, Peter and John, ahead of the rest of the group into the city of Jerusalem to make preparations for the Passover. He told them that as they entered the city, they would find a certain man carrying a jar of water who would lead them to the place where the meal was to be shared. That's an interesting symbol, an interesting signal. You see, in that day and time, it would have been very uncommon for a man to be carrying water from the well. That was mostly the job of the women of those days. And so a man carrying a water jar would would stand out clearly in a crowd. Now, scholars love to debate whether or not this was something that Jesus simply foreknew because of His divine omnipotence, or if this represented some logistical arrangements that Jesus had gone ahead and worked out. Either way, the effect is the same. 
Jesus prepared for that meal. He didn't leave anything to chance. What was about to happen was too important for it to be thrown together at the last minute. It required great anticipation and great preparation. All of this was what he had anticipated. And just so we're clear, it wasn't just the meal that he had prepared for. You see, his entire life, his entire ministry, it had all been intentionally and purposefully moving towards this moment of sacrifice. That's why Jesus had put on flesh and come to live among us. It was for this very moment, and he had known that from the beginning. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go with some hapless victim of circumstance who just tragically got swept up in a storm that was beyond his control. No, he went as a willing and knowing participant in the Father's divine plan. From the very beginning, actually from before the very beginning, this was how God had designed our salvation to be won. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes these following words. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Did you hear that? It said He chose us before the creation of the world. That means that from the very beginning, actually from before the very beginning, God the Father already had us in mind. And He was already working towards our salvation. His saving love is not an afterthought. It's not an add-on. It's not a plan B after other things didn't work out. This is exactly what He had intended from the beginning. And so this meal remembers the unchanging heart of God, who from before the beginning has been working to draw us back to Him. Let us remember... Our God has been preparing for us. Second, let us remember that Jesus calls us to share this meal and indeed to share our very lives together. It's vital to recognize that Jesus ate the Passover with all 12 of His disciples. Now, why 12? Why not 8 disciples or 15 or, or 20 Well, the number 12 is significant. There were 12 disciples, just as there had once been 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 disciples represented how God was now reconstituting the family of God. After all those centuries of being conquered and occupied by foreign powers, after being scattered to the winds and and exiled to foreign lands, Jesus was now drawing the true Israel back together into a new kind of community. A community no longer defined by by blood relations to Abraham or by circumcision in the flesh, but, but a community now defined by faith and fellowship with Jesus 
that community now includes us who constitute the church of Jesus Christ, a church which is now dispersed throughout the world, wherever people may be, wherever they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the family of God, and we are called to live together as family. That's why the sharing of the Lord's Supper is not a solitary act. Something done in fellowship with and in community with other people because the Christian life itself is meant to be lived in fellowship and community with other believers. As I've said before many times, the Christian life is deeply personal, but it is not private. It is lived in fellowship with others. Now, I recognize it may be a bit odd to emphasize this point on a day when we are preparing to share this meal in our individual homes, so let me be clear about something. We are sharing this meal together. It is simply the case that in these momentary circumstances, when we are prevented from being able to gather, we can't do it in the same room with each other. But friends, I promise you, God's presence is not limited or bound or negated by physical distance. I believe there is still a mystical communion that, 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 that draws us together as believers and that's true even when we are forced, as we are right now, to be apart. And so, this meal is a call to remember that we are a part of the family of God. As you watch this, you may be stuck in your home. Some of you watching this may be confined to a bed. For all I know, some of you watching this may be locked away in a prison cell. I don't know who's on the other end watching this and participating in this. But I do know that if by faith you belong to Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family of God. You are bound to me, and I am bound to you, and together we are bound to each other because of the common call of Jesus Christ. By the way, let this also be a call for us to look forward to that moment when we can be reunited. If any of us have ever been prone to take for granted the privilege, and it is a privilege being with other believers, then, then this recent experience in these last days should call us to a deeper awareness and a, and a greater love for the fellowship of the church. All around the world, there are believers who, because of political circumstances or other factors, are, are prevented from meeting together, and not just for a few weeks of disruption, but that's their normal everyday experience. And we, therefore, dare not take lightly the privilege that is ours to gather with others. This meal remembers that we are a part of the family. But finally, and perhaps most importantly, to go back to where we begin, let us remember today that none of us have earned the right to be here. Remember what we said a moment ago about who gets a seat at the table? Conventional wisdom says you should only welcome people who are morally adequate. But look at the people who gathered on that night for that last supper with Jesus. Of these 12 men, most of them in the coming hours were going to abandon Him. One of them was going to deny knowing Him, not once, not twice, but three times. And one of them one of them was actually going to betray him into the hands of his enemies for a few measly pieces of silver. 
Now, if you ask me, that is not exactly a stellar showing of loyalty and faithfulness. Here's the crazy thing about it. Jesus already knew all of that. None of that would come as a surprise. None of that would catch him off guard. He knew from the beginning that this is how it would go. And yet Jesus made a space for each of these men at his table anyway. It's because dining at the table with Jesus is entirely and completely a function of his grace. Our being at the table with Jesus has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. I remember a conversation I once had with somebody who shared with me that they had not participated in the Lord's Supper for many years because they didn't feel like they were worthy. Now, I won't go into the reasons why they felt that way, but, but I shared with this person that in one respect, they were absolutely right. They were not worthy to come to the table with our Lord. But then again, I reminded this person that was true for all of us, and that recognizing that fact about ourselves is exactly the reason we should participate in the Lord's Supper. None of us are worthy. That's why we come to this meal to be reminded of the grace that makes our lives and our salvation possible. That recognition, by the way, should only make our fellowship with each other even sweeter. We are family, but you've probably noticed that from your own experience, sometimes being family is not easy. Family members have a way of getting on each other's nerves and driving each other crazy. So just remember this. Anytime we are tempted to withhold our love or our fellowship from someone because we don't think that person deserves it, then we only need to remember that neither do we. And yet here we are because of the gracious invitation of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says it powerfully and succinctly. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let us remember that all of us are here only because of grace. And so we come to share this meal which our Lord has instituted and which He has set apart that we might remember and give thanks for His salvation. You don't have elements for the Lord's Supper in front of you. Let me encourage you to to pause this broadcast for just a moment and go and retrieve some bread and some juice or, or anything that might serve as a willing substitute. And then when you've brought that back in front of the screen, you can resume. But for now, let all of us receive this invitation to the table. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come, not because of any goodness of your own that gives you the right to come, but rather come because you need mercy and grace. Come because you love the Lord a little 
and would love to love Him more. Come, because He loved you and gave Himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are His body. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so humbled by Your grace and Your mercy. Once again, we recall with celebration the fact that You have marched into our lives, into the midst of our brokenness and our sin, and that You have prepared a place for us at Your table. And so as we come now to break the bread and share the cup, May the very presence of the risen Christ be within each of us. And may we celebrate our connection to Him and each other and be strengthened to live as Your people in Your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We read in Scripture that on that night when our Lord Jesus was betrayed, He gathered at the table, He took a loaf of bread, and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples, and He said, Take, eat, this is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, while he was still at the table, our Lord took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the Scriptures conclude by saying, Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let me ask you to join me now as we utter together the words that our Lord taught His disciples in the Lord's Prayer when He said, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, thank you for letting us share this meal together. My prayer is that we have been nourished by it. And if anything about this experience has prompted you to want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and to be part of that family, we encourage you to reach out to us. Use that connect button. Use the prayer button. 
let us hear from you. We would love to pray with you, to pray for you, to respond to you. Let us all be strengthened in these days to live as his people. Amen.